we all see this demand for art and entertainment to be free all the time. You know, hey, let me borrow your Netflix password or, oh man, like the museum costs 10 bucks. Let's just go to the free gallery. And everyone's locked inside right now. And what are they doing? They're listening to music. They're watching TV. They're watching all the things and listening to all the things that artists have been cranking out, you know, for a time like this. Yo, yo. Yo, yo. Can you hear me okay? Oh, yeah. Great. Great. Okay, so, hello, everyone. Uh, this is Zach here, and today I'm talking with Daryl. Uh, Daryl, uh, he actually did the first um, project for Big Strange, the first module. For his project, we did a film. Uh, it's called All of This. And, uh, yeah, let's just, um, maybe let's just start in with, how that all went and, and, you know, the time frame of that and, and, uh, yeah, just a little brief outline of how that all went down. Sure. Thanks, Zach. Um, so it was August of 2018 and we had first started the idea that we we're going to do these artist modules earlier that year. And we met and had sort of a brainstorming, um, session where you know for a couple days we decided you know what what did we want to do what kind of collective do we want to be and how is it all going to work out and we kind of drew straws or something i can't remember quite how we decided but i ended up first and i had an idea for something that i wanted to do that was not a film um but i had some parts of a film that i had been writing at the time um and prior to that that had been slowly assembling and then when i kind of realized just how much effort it was going to take to do even this very small, you know, short film, I decided a few months before we started to, to change to a short film and then started pre-production and work on it. And uh, it took about four days to shoot. Um, there was a lot of prep days, uh, but most of the prep was done in just the last few days before we got started. And um, we had pretty much full days over, over four days, and we had lots and lots of locations, almost like three or four different locations a day, which was kind of madness, but it's what... Yeah, the... and, the, and this, this was in Oakland, California, for those who may not know. We, we lived in Oakland for uh, a good amount of time, maybe four years, uh, both Daryl and I, with our partners. And um, so, yeah, it was all shot there. Yeah, and it was... It was set in Oakland as well. So, you know, the, the, the film takes place in Oakland and there's some identifying landscapes and features there. But, um, you know, other than that, it's kind of allegorical in some ways and um, is meant to be sort of a cross section of artists' lives as they overlap. So, yeah, I guess I should say a little bit about what the film is about. Um, if For those of you that haven't seen it, um, Many of you probably haven't seen it. It's not released online yet. I'm probably going to be doing that in the coming weeks, as a matter of fact. So this is good timing. But um, the film is about a group of artists who face rejection and failure in the moments before a natural disaster. And so in this very short, 15-minute long short film, we are introduced to a handful of different artists, uh, kind of independent, you know, freelancer kind of folks, you know, not not to unlike ourselves, um, young and old. And we meet a muse as well, who sort of floats in and out of their 
lives um, in very short, very brief overlapping scenes um, where we slowly realize how people are connected and how some of them aren't connected. And it all culminates, um, or I, sh I guess I should also say that each scene has some sort of rejection or failure um, kind of circumstance in it. For example, we have a, we have a young um, rapper musician who lives at home with his parents who mom thinks that he's kind of wasting his time with this hobby when he should be pursuing a career or a real job. We have a painter who is um, older, like senior age, and she's outside landscape painting. And she kind of has this sort of blank, blank canvas intimidation issue. Um, we have a dancer who gets completely ignored during an audition um, and several other scenes like that. And then we have a sort of, you know, penultimate scene where the muse who f we finally sort of get a little bit of an idea about her, um, which is that she's somehow associated with or probably works for like a big company and the boss is a real misogynist and um, kind of cowboy jerk, I guess you could say. And he has a, a confrontation with her. And right after that confrontation, um, I won't spoil it exactly, but a natural disaster occurs that I suppose, since I'm the director and the writer, I should say what it's about. But what I was going for was that while these artistic concerns are important for each of us and they are our lives, there can be moments where we get shaken out of our narrow reality, uh, no matter how noble and how good and how worthwhile it is to realize the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is basically just our survival and our needs and our lives. And I guess that's pretty not unlike right now, actually. Now that I'm yeah, talking well, about it, I'm realizing. I, I was just, I was just realizing that too. I was going to ask. I was going to see if you, if you saw that there was was any connections there, and like, ha had you thought about that? You know, I literally did not even <laughs> think about it until right this moment, Zach. Wow. Um, yeah. and. I'm, I mean, yeah, I, I'm really I, gonna. I, I'm gonna think about that now <laughs> a lot, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to give anything away either, but uh, just in terms of all of these artists, um, collectively, they confront this um, emergency, right, t together in a way. Yes. And yeah, it, it isn't unlike this moment in the sense of, you, you could even think of Hollywood, the industry, in, in the way that it pushes artists to, you know, you know, want to have that muse work for them. You know, it wants it wants the creativity to just come out and flow almost force forcibly, but it just doesn't work that way. And I think in a time like this, the artists they're the ones that struggle, and meanwhile the uh, you know the big the big industry, you know it it stays afloat. Um, but I think maybe it learns something in this too that it can't always be. Um, you know, asking so much of the artists. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's well said. And that's, that's sort of what the muse character is supposed to represent, which is um, that we have a 
duty and an obligation to our muses. They're not just things and people and ideas to be extracted from. And in fact, I'm just realizing now also that it seems like on a broad, like five or 5,000 or 50,000 foot, you know, view that artists want, or I should say that artists need capital to survive and they should be paid for their work because that's the world we live in, right? You got to make your bread. You got to survive. You got to pay the bills. Otherwise you have consequences or anxiety and it's just, you know, we all know that life. And then I would say on the flip side, it seems like a lot of people, whether they're wealthy or not, also sort of demand that art and entertainment be free and sort of demand that artists not weigh the financial ramifications or benefits of certain art. Like it's almost as if people who don't have an artistic outlet of their own demand that their art be free of financial impulse or benefit. Whereas the artists making it sort of want art to be understood on its own terms while being paid for because of the work that you've done. Like, you know, pay me for the work. You don't have to pay me because it's great art or bad art, but you've got to pay me for the work. I'm just kind of realizing this sort of flip side to the two positions Mm-hmm. In a way, I don't know if there's anyone, any specific person who would argue, you know, those specific positions for themselves. But I think that I, we all see this demand for art and entertainment to be free all the time. You know, hey, let me borrow your Netflix password or, oh, man, like the museum costs 10 bucks. Let's just go to the free gallery. And everyone's locked inside right now. And what are they doing? They're listening to music. They're watching TV. They're watching all the things listening to all the things that artists have been cranking out, you know, for a time like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it also makes me think too, not to, not to get too off, off the mark here on, uh, on talking about the production and things like that and the, and the rest of the, the story here. But, um, you know, the preparedness that we don't have, you know, and that we forget to create is really kind of astonishing. And it's, it really shines a light in a moment like this, how unprepared we are for things like this and why that's not more of a, in, in, you know, an important thing in our culture is um, maybe something we'll learn because it should be, you know, for, for artists, for everyone. Um, we know that this kind of thing is going to happen. We know that it could be worse. And so why we wouldn't save money and, you know, like you're saying, things are, more and more things are free these days. And I think that's like, in a way that's, that's what we are drawn to when there's excess rather than, you know, paying for, for things. And then with that extra amount of resources and money, saving up and preparing for something like the inevitable, which is now happening. Absolutely. And that's actually really analogous, I think, to filmmaking uh, on a couple levels, actually, because one, in terms of the preparedness question, I feel like n- not necessarily prepared for this moment specifically, but there's something about 
the strategy required to produce a film of any quality, whether it's good or bad, the amount of preparation and planning and, you know, organizing that goes into that means that if you're someone who is at the kind of producer directing level of a film, which is usually the role I'm in. I mean, I, I do other production roles from time to time, but most of the time I'm kind of at the top organizing level only because I like to initiate projects. So organizing and preparing for things is like how I think about work all the time. And in a way, those qualities, those skills are very useful in a time right now because I am often thinking ahead in terms of, well, I got to do this and then I got to do that and I got to do this. Um, and also like to the, back to the free question. And I think something that the film, you know, tries to, tries to touch on is that, you know, filmmaking, making films oftentimes kind of goes against the grain of any sort of pra practical or pragmatic choice, especially when it comes to money. You know, they cost a lot of money. They take a ton of time. They take a ton of people's effort and help. And for the, your first several films, whether they're short or feature even, you're probably not going to make any money off of them either. <laughs> and so it goes completely against any sort of practical survival, you know, impulses. And maybe ego drives that. Maybe because you're like, hey, I want to be seen. See me. See my work. Um. But in a way, that's beautiful, right? Because that's that's how things we that's how we want to live in the world, where it's not a transaction. Not everything's a transaction. Not every project is a transaction. Not every relationship is a transaction. And while if you see the film, you may not necessarily pull all these things out of it. It's a short film. There's not a lot of development. It's pretty thin on plot. Um, but these are the ideas that are baked into it, which is oftentimes things because the work I produce is pretty short. I don't necessarily have the resources to make a really long or big production. So I try to bake in these ideas in tiny ways. And I think that so far the response I've gotten is people get, you know, a lot of them, which is great. That means that what we wrote, what we produced and what people watching is connecting. I think as a filmmaker, you always worry not that you're going to be misunderstood, but that people think you don't know what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. I don't mind being misunderstood at all. I can, but like if some, I, my fear is more, someone's like, I don't know if you knew what you were doing or trying to say. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that's probably the, the fear of many, many artists, right? Like you're, you're, you're being vulnerable and you're sharing something from deep within. And so, yeah, how that, how that, translates is always a, a question so uh, this film has been around the circuit it's been to, it's been to several screenings and and shows and i've been to several of those and i've noticed that the reactions that the audience has is always different people laugh or awe at different parts um and i know you mentioned that too what was what's your take on that that's a that's a great a, a great observation yeah it's definitely true I think that there is enough diversity of emotional beats in the film where 
depending on what you're going through at a certain time of your life or that month or that week, that day, that moment, there are places where you can have a connection with what the other characters are feeling. You may not know what it's like to be rejected by other people or be put on display and have people think that what you're offering is crap, but you might be able to relate to this um, feeling of not being able to get started on something, which is also in there. And so I think that depending on the audience, um, which is probably mostly people who like to watch films, I bet. There's there's some emotional beats in there for everybody. And if there's a group of people maybe of a certain age, they might resonate more with like a mom sort of questioning a son's artistic enterprises versus, you know, someone who's a little older who maybe is retired, who's just trying to have a nice afternoon, but sort of, can't feel inspired. Um, and so I think that there's definitely something in there for a lot of, a lot of different people. And it's long enough to where you can sink into it for a little bit. It's 15 minutes long. So there's a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. um, but I see new things too, which is great. That's really rewarding that a, such a small piece of work can have multiple viewings and that doesn't mean it's this cryptic, you know, Rubik's cube of ideas or anything like that. But I would say that there's a lot of metaphor in there. And you, and depending on where you're at in your life, you might find a connection to the metaphor or find new, a new way into the metaphor. You might find yourself in a different role. You might feel more antagonizing than, than you did before. You might identify with a, you know, antagonist character or a neutral character, a character that can't make up their mind. Right. Which, which I, I, and I, I, I think this has been said before too, but you really did. Um, you really put a lot into uh, a short, a short film. I mean, it, it, it spans, it spans a lot of, of time and space, um, in a short 15 minutes. So, so you, you, you bit off a lot that you know, <laughs> maybe a lot more than you almost could chew. Um, Oh, that's most, that should probably go on my gravestone. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, so yeah, what, what were some of the, like, what were some of your favorite moments uh, of the production? Um, well, actually one of my favorite moments was when we first started. It's our first day, first morning. And, you know, we have the extras there. We have the set, you know, on location that we moved into. We have, the actors in their places, sounds running, everything is ready to go. We've rehearsed our shot a little bit and full, you know, full admission. I really haven't, didn't, haven't worked on a, a set bigger than that before. And so there was a lot more roles and a lot more production people there who were looking for direction. And I didn't know how to give it, not because I didn't know what I wanted, but because some of the technical aspects, you know, having an AD and, you know, knowing when to slate and some of these things, I, uh, mm -hmm. which I've always mm -hmm. done just with like one or two people, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I, and you are, you are an actor, just, just to give context, you are an actor um, and you've been on sets. So you, you, you've seen this all in action several times before you had done this, but th th yeah, this is true. In fact, that's probably where most of my, 
Well, half, half of my film education comes from is just being on other people's sets, which I highly recommend to any, you know, young filmmakers or, well, actors, obviously, but for young filmmakers, if, if you're a writer or director, you're trying to make a film, just sign up to be an extra and go get on set and watch how the, the big boys do it. That's but, great advice. But even, even with my watching people, you know, operate, I wasn't quite ready to call the shots myself. So there was this great moment where Colton Becker, who was our gaffer, who, who is, has a lot of experience under his belt in many roles. He really knew what he was doing. In fact, in many ways, he was, you know, he's the one who really carried us through. Yeah, he's a great guy. We all got, you know, the shot set up, the shot set up and ready to go. And, you know, everyone's kind of looking at me and I was like, oh, well, I guess um, action. And then Colton was like, hold on. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And he kind yeah. of coached us through, walked just us through, yeah, walked yeah, us yeah. through like doing a take. And uh, it was great because, you know, you got to learn the, the details somehow, no matter how visionary you feel like you are. So right. that was I mean, there, and, and not even more context on this. Everybody, like almost every person there uh, on set was doing something new. Um, yeah. Like either they had never done it before or like it was like one of their first times. And so Colton was the most experienced for sure. We, you had a sound guy, uh, Grant. Yeah. So he he was experienced, mom. But personally, I was. You had you had put me on as a as a boom mic. That's right. Uh, holder, and I had never done that before. <laughs> so, and at least in my experience, you know, it was like, I, I I can't even I can't even tell you, really, what any of the actual production, uh, experience was like from the outside, from like looking at it from like an observer point of view, because I was so in my own little world of like learning this thing for the very first time. Like I, I, I missed so much in terms of uh, the rest of the production because I was so involved in my thing, but yeah. Yeah. Filmmaking is a real Rashomon experience. Everyone's like, you know, did you hear that noise in the back of the room during that take? And someone's like, no, but did you see the actor blinking too much? Right. Everyone's uh, yeah, like, what? Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's yeah. You're you're totally right. And I mean, and this is a small crew. Imagine if there had been hundreds of people. You know, I always wow. think about, I always think about huge budget movies sometimes like that. Thinking like, how do they get anything done? Mm. Um, but yeah, that was that was a, that was a great moment of mine. I think that there was another moment where you know, so we had four days of shooting and we did a lot on the first day. We did a, a lot on the first day, and we shot one of the natural disaster scenes which again, I won't spoil it necessarily, but, um, but it took us many, many takes to get these things right. Cause it's all practical and, you know, in frame effects, there's no CGI or visual effects of any kind. It's all on camera and the work we were doing took a lot of, a lot of hands on deck. And so it took us many, many tries to, to get it right. But once you do get it right and everyone's committed to getting it right, you know, you got nine, 10, 11 people all, trying to achieve the same goal and it's nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, it's getting a little bit late, um, but not too late yet. And um, then you watch the playback and you see a good take that feels real. And it's just super exciting. Cause then all of a sudden you realize the vision is happening. You know, the vision is coming off the page and into reality and people are united. You know, it's this great feeling of unity um, where everyone's trying to accomplish the same thing. I mean, there's a, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of use for those kinds of 
practices in life, um, you know, Mm -hmm. for all kinds of, you know, goals, but, you know, filmmaking is a great way to feel unified, you know, especially in a time when other people feel divided, you know, you get nine Mm -hmm. people together to achieve one shot and all of a sudden you feel like, you know, you can take on the world. Yeah. And I, I remember, um, I think this is okay to say, but at the end of each night, we would all watch what we had, what we had captured that day. Yeah, the the dailies, so to speak. The dailies, yeah. And that was that that felt like a connective sort of moment uh, where everybody was in the end of this long day of shooting, and we were all, you know, seeing the dailies. It was really, yeah. I felt that felt like a party or like a, a friend hangout, or yeah. It was just it was so much fun. Yeah, that was a very rewarding, uh, rewarding thing to do. And I I I see also, of course, the value just as how how important it is to make time in a production for that. Um, because I think, I think a lot of people maybe don't, I mean, of course you don't understand if you haven't done it before, but uh, you know, we watch and consume so much television and films. I mean, I think it's great. I, I support that, but, but the quality of the things that we watch is so great. And, you know, it's a real craft. It doesn't, you don't just, you can't just pay a lot of money and expect to get something great. I guess you can't do that with anything really. Um, but it takes so much craft and experience to get these things right. And no matter how much you love film and television, no matter how much you watch, you, you still have to do it. You still have to do the work. You still have to practice the craft. And, it was so rewarding to see the craft being exercised on camera. And at the end of the day, um, I mean, it was a real milestone for me in my filmmaking career to be sure. I mean, I don't have a lot under my belt, but I have other work that I've produced. You know, I do, obviously I produce work as a, as a job, but to really tell a story and tell it well and have people want to watch it. I mean, that's what you do it for. I mean, that's all, that's all I'm in it for, really. I mean, it's a little bit of ego. It'd be nice to be part of a community of other artists and see yourself as a peer and have them see you as a peer. But the desire to hold people's attention and have them th- consider your work to be in the same category as other work they might choose to watch is, I mean, that's it. You know, that's what you're going for. I don't know why. I'm going for that some deep you know primitive kind of dna level urge to be seen and heard but um yeah i uh seeing those dailies for the first time was it was huge it was it was, it was transformative i look back on them now and think of how much they could be better which is exactly how the process should go but you know i'm i can't wait to see the next round for the next film i do it's going to be just as exciting and to share it with your whole crew is, is also great, but you don't, I don't know how many films do that. It's probably just the directors, producers, and actors, even that maybe not even that, that watch it. But since our whole crew was essentially our group of friends and we were all crashing at each other's places while we made the film, we all had the opportunity to do it. And so that, yeah, it was a little party. Well, I feel like you did just explain, you know, really what it's like to be an artist. Uh, truly right there and, I, and that was that was well said and uh and not only that but you are like working with you on set was a joy i mean you 
you have a great way of, of, of naturally responding to people, even though you might not have known the specifics of the, you know, of like the setup and the system. You, you respond to people really well, especially in, in group situations. And so, you know, day one might have felt a little chaotic, but each day after, it just became more and more succinct. And so I, I felt by the, by the last day, I think might have been might have been Friday, uh, the fifth day. I felt like things were pretty smooth. I mean, everybody at that point ha- had gotten into the flow. Absolutely. And, yeah. And so so yeah. Anyways, that that was to me that was amazing to see everybody getting to the fifth day where it was like, wow, I could keep doing this. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, can you imagine twenty five days, thirty day feature shoot? You'd be like. <laughs> A well-oiled machine. In fact, to be to be honest, not only did we—I mean, we had we had the right crew members who did know what they were doing to help us through. And to be honest, I felt like everything went smooth except for one uh, one sort of batch of scenes which had a lot to do with the weather um, and traffic and running late to things. Um, but I was like actually sort of pleasantly surprised that it wasn't more chaotic right and i suppose that has to do with the team probably some to do with my direction probably a lot to do with the fact that the scenes were pretty short you know i mean the scenes we're talking about filming here are like woman sitting in chair in front of easel dozes off when she wakes up, her easel has fallen over. I mean, it's very simple actions a lot of the times, very minimal dialogue. And so to shoot something like that doesn't take a, you know, it's, it's not as heavy a lift as like a, even a scene of dialogue, you know, with a lot of audio recording and coverage and things like that. So I think that I had probably effectively worked it out in my head and on paper and with Ellie, our DP, what we wanted to achieve so that we weren't spinning our wheels when we got there. I didn't buy, you know, didn't, didn't try to do too much. Um, I honestly thought it was going to go a little rougher, but things kind of worked out. So I was pretty grateful for that. Um, I've been on sets where things don't work out. <laughs> I think, uh, I mean, I think every filmmaker has, it's frustrating. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like it's all, all part of the, part of the game. Yeah. Part of the show. My biggest, my biggest challenge is as an actor to try and keep my mouth shut when someone else is directing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. I'm not the best at it, especially on independent projects, but I, uh, I'm, um, I'm getting better. So if you're a director out there and you want to hire me as an actor, um, give me a shot. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, uh, you know, I, I yeah, I'm sure people are, are really looking forward to when this thing uh, goes to streaming in a, in a couple few weeks from now. I'm looking forward to that. That'll be great. Um, I feel like, to wrap this up, maybe it might be sour a sour mood to to go to, but I I feel like it's worth mentioning um, that this this current current situation we're in is is an, it's an, a dire one. It's an interesting one. I personally have lost several gigs 
or, or post, had to postpone several wedding gigs. I'm a wedding photographer. But uh, you, you did have a, another film lined up and that, that has to be postponed. Is that, is that right? That's true. Although I will say that it was in its pretty early stages. Um, and so it wasn't like we were about to shoot, you know? So I'm grateful that we actually weren't further along to be perfectly honest, because now what we get to do is we get to refine it and make it better, you know, tweak the script, you know, do a lot more pre-production and start to get ready to shoot. And of course, getting ready to shoot means finding the money and we give ourselves a little more time to do that because it's probably going to be a little harder to get the money now because we're in a recession and it might be a longer recession than just a, you know, pandemic recession. So we might have to change some of what we want out of it. And these are all creative constraints. You know, that's how we have to look at these things. Um, it's definitely a bummer only because I look forward so much to being able to direct again, especially for a new project, especially for one that I feel is going to be head and shoulders above my previous one. But that's where we're at. I'm not losing any sleep over it though, but I am, I am really excited about refining it and making it better and perhaps writing a feature. I've sort of given myself this goal during this time that I would write a feature because I haven't done that yet. I have lots of ideas and I have some outlines, but perhaps in the end, all those things will fall into place just exactly as they're intended due to, you know, the situation that we're in. So I'm actually really on a creative level, surprisingly really grateful for this time. I know that, you know, I can say that from a position of being able to, you know, pay my bills and everything, but. Um, I mean, yeah, this is the time, right. For, as they say, to, uh, to be working on projects in the home. Yeah. This time that we have. And of course we don't want to advocate too strongly for this, productivity challenge for people out there. But I will say that if you're a writer, if you're a director, if you're a filmmaker, there's not going to be a better time to have access to just yourself and your time to develop and create the things that you've been thinking about doing because you desperately need that time. I am easily distracted. It takes a lot of work for me to complete my projects and it's because I get distracted, I get pulled away from things. So if you're like me and you have this moment where you don't have those things, you're not going to get a better opportunity. So go for it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the number of people, number of friends I have that have said that they want to write more or they want to, you know, do a writing project is, is it's quite, a, quite a few, more than half my friends, I think, say that they have something that they have an idea of writing about. That's so, amazing. Yeah. Do it, do it now. And also you probably, if you're like me, then you've also been going through a lot of emotions mm. up and down. You got to use those things. You got to use exactly. those emotions. You got to channel them into your story, you know, so that the work has the right emotional highs and lows that any story would. And you might have closer access to that. You know, it's kind of like, you know, a breakup album. You gotta write your breakup album right now, except you're breaking up with reality. It's <laughs> huge. 
That's great. That's great. Now, so so is there going to be a, a link or a place people can uh, go to? I, I guess we can include that. Or yeah, we'll probably have we'll, at some point. Yeah, we'll probably have to do it at some point after this interview has come out because I don't have a date for release yet, but I am working on it. But as soon as we know, we'll put a little reminder out there. But I'm hoping it'll be sometime this month, so within the next month. That's great. Awesome. Well, is there anything else you wanna you wanna throw out there? Um, let's see. Why don't I? How about a little um, film recommendation? So, if you haven't seen it, um, you should watch the film Stalker, which is by um, Andrew. How do you say it? It's in <laughs> um, Andre Tarkovsky. Russian director, 1979. And this is a film also that our pal Brendan also likes a lot. Um, it's on the Criterion channel. And if you don't have the Criterion channel right now, I highly recommend you pay the annual fee of $99 and have access to some of the greatest films ever made on streaming. Um, Stalker is an incredibly powerful and um, reflective and contemplative film that is about these three guys that go into this place called the zone where kind of un, unexplainable kind of things occur and basically contemplate life and discover sort of inner demons and things like that. And it's, it's a good film for the time. It's not doom and gloom necessarily, you know, but it's just, it has this atmosphere to it that, it's foreboding and yet strangely kind of euphoric. Um, it's a good one for the times right now. And if you haven't seen it, um, it's really worth it. I mean, I think I read somewhere that the, the average length of each shot in the film is like seven or eight minutes. Wow. It's very slow, um, which really challenges a lot of our, our attention spans and sort of palettes as audience members in the 21st century. And for that reason alone, you should, you should definitely check it out. Yeah. I, I personally have, have yet to see it too, but it's on the list actually. Yeah. I think I'm going to watch it soon. So yeah. Awesome. Thanks. So, Zach. Thank you, Daryl. That was great talking to you. Um, thanks everyone for tuning in and uh, we look forward to uh, posting our next episode soon. Thanks everybody. Thanks everyone.